Fair Folk. I'm Danica Boyce. Not for a few hundred years now, in your travels through a forest or across a mountain pasture, would you likely overhear a Swedish dairy maid calling to her cows. But for the 400 years or more leading up to the 19th century, in certain central and northern regions of Sweden, a far cry from the city, you might hear that high-pitched and far-reaching sound every day. From the Middle Ages or earlier until the 19th century, on certain summer settlements called fæbods, a word that translates into animal shed, young, unmarried women, and some older women, would spend the long sunny days of June through September in the forest or mountain pastures, grazing their herds of cows, goats, or sheep, sleeping and working in summer cottages, and sharing only the company of nature, their animals, and other women. This is Maria Holten Birkeland, Kulning. The sounds these women exchanged with their herds were practical in nature. A call for cows, a call for goats, a warning that a predator was near. But, wonderfully, because people love to both sing and make things beautiful, the utilitarian sounds people make in daily work often become the occasion for melody. And those melodies stick in people's memories and give birth to long traditions of song in the regions where they came into being. Kulning is a species of herding call, a high-pitched vocal technique without vibrato, emphasizing vowel sounds from Scandinavian countries, principally Sweden, 
used in communication with domestic animals. But it's much more than that. Just listen. As far as the sound of kulning goes, you might notice the natural falling shape of any call you might make in your day-to-day life, like you would notice you tend to do if you call a friend or a pet from a distance. These calls also tend to repeat particular phrases, but are totally open to improvisation as far as their rhythm goes. They range from very high calling in the upper soprano range, which is the typical sound associated with kulning, to lower syllables, including spoken words, that you could almost describe like chatter. This is farlock, sheep call, getlock, goat call, and calvlock, calf calls, sung by Karen Edwardson Johansson. There are melodic phrases in Kulning typical to a region or to an individual, but these would not be as rigid in form as what we'd think of as a proper song, though there are songs from Febod culture that incorporate Kulning technique. This improvised quality is key to the origin of Kulning, since the length of time you will spend performing or making the call is entirely dependent on whether it has achieved its effect yet. That is, you must continue calling until the cows or sheep or goats actually come home. This is Nygaard's Elisabeth Nordqvist, Kulning.
particularly interesting about Kjölning, among other herding calls, is that it came into being as a result of human interaction with a very specific landscape, one of wide open spaces and higher elevations, large expanses across which a person must forcefully hurl their voice in order to be heard and understood. So in the mind's eye, as well as the ear, these calls are indivisible from their soundscape. The mountains echo, the muting of the forest trees, the belled animal's response as they return to the fold, ringing and mooing, or answering back in their own distinct voice as they approach. These sounds might evoke strong feelings of nostalgia for a world almost unimaginable now. We picture large expanses unmarked by fences or enclosures, where the sound of a human voice is rich and spacious, and a long period where people, it seems, had the time to turn the sounds of necessity into beautiful and epic song, which reminds us that the distance between human and animal is not as far as we might like to tell ourselves it is. I mean, how many other musical traditions can claim they developed from the need for cross-species communication between humans, cows, sheep, and goats? Is this even music, then, if its principal audience is mostly non-human? It uses words and it uses melody, but only because they are words and melodies that a cow or a sheep or a goat might understand. Is music for animals really music? I would say, in this case, most certainly yes.
That was Erika Johansson from an album full of Swedish herding calls called Lokrop and Valatar. Of course, Sweden is not entirely culturally isolated, and other neighboring regions have similar and intersecting herding call traditions. Here are two kulok, or cow calls, from Norway. The first is performed by Elie Storbecken. The second is from an Edvard Grieg opus performed by Raiden Horve. You can hear the classical influence on the second, but it retains the flavor of the first. In addition to the voice, people have also used horns, made of actual animal horn, to produce herding calls. These horns have been used since ancient times in the Scandinavian and Baltic regions. They were used to call to animals, but also to send messages to people at a distance, using established melodies for that purpose. Players of the Valhorn, as it's called in Sweden, produce different tones either by using their hand, like a damper in the sound hole, or by covering carved finger holes. Of course, the use of cow horns is historically restricted to communities in those regions where horned cattle have been farmed. A horn with finger holes, which is a fair indication it was played as an instrument, has been found in Vermland, which dates back to the early Iron Age. And in Dalarna, the earliest horn with finger holes found so far is from the 9th century, the beginning of the Viking era. This is a herding call from Radvik and Orr, followed by a herding signal from Mockyard, both performed by Pele Jacobson.
Another type of horn found in this region is the birch horn, or lure, which is significantly longer than horns made from animals, being about one meter in length. One of these horns is also pictured in the photograph I've used as an image for this episode, if you'd like to check it out. These horns have no finger holes or keys. The different tones are achieved by the player manipulating his or her embouchure, that is the shape of their lips and mouth. These horns bear the same name as Bronze Age lures, which were used in many European countries, but the majority of which have been preserved in bogs in Denmark and Germany. These older lures are named after the later wooden ones, which were commonly used in medieval Scandinavia, and though I call them later, they are also likely extremely old, though because they are made of wood, they are not so easily preserved as those horns made out of bronze may have been. The earliest account of the use of wooden lures that I know of was in Icelandic sagas, where they were said to be played to summon people to battle. One was also contained in the Oseberg ship burial. The remains of that ship are on display at the Viking Ship Museum in Oslo, Norway. These Viking Age horns were wrapped in willow bark, however, and the horns used by medieval Scandinavian herders and beyond are wrapped in birch. This is a recording of a birch lure with a melody from Evertsburg in Sweden. Due to its nature as a call, a loud announcement of presence, this species of music, the herding call, cannot help but interact with a landscape of some description. Today, the landscape most people interact with, in Sweden or elsewhere, is a social one. Music is mostly for communication between people, and more than ever, it travels on digital roads, resonates in the chestnut-sized space between the headphone and the eardrum. This music is deeply spatial. It both announces and occupies space. Therefore, some people would argue, it makes an excellent tool for women, who for much of Western history have been required to make themselves quiet and small. The image of the cooling woman is larger and louder than life, announcing her presence and purpose in a deeply spacious and material way, taking up space and filling it with sound. I spoke to a woman who teaches feminist kulning workshops in Sweden, and I asked her about both their reception and their effect on the people who learned kulning from her. My name is Siri Holm, and uh, I'm from the middle of Sweden. I'm a musician, and I also teach people about mental health and self-harm. And that's, that's what I do. I love nature, and I play a lot of music. Can you paint a picture for us of the traditional context in which kulning was used? Yes, of course. Up in the north or in the middle of Sweden, um, people were, in the summer, the young women and unmarried women were taking all the, the animals from the farm and walking up in the forest to a little cottage where they stayed all summer 
and uh, herding all the animals so they could eat from trees and from grass and stuff. Um, and then they used cooling to communicate with the with the animals to make them come to them or make them go away. But they also used cooling to com- communicate with each other. Often the, these um, it's called fabovallar, where the, these cottages were. Uh, often they were connected to each other through like mountains or uh, you know some some kilometers away from each other. And then they could use cooling to say, oh, I've lost my goat. Can you find her? Or would, would you come over for a cup of coffee tomorrow or something like that? So that's kind of the cultural context where, where it began. And this was hundreds of years ago. And since cooling is such a strong song technique, singing technique, it reaches up to 10 kilometers in good weather conditions. That's amazing. So you could communicate people far, far away. And these uh, Fabovalla were so remote, they, they didn't get any visitors and they, they couldn't communicate with the farm or the village, but they could at least communicate to each other. So it was a long period of time where these women were out there on their own. Is that right? How long would they be at these cottages? Uh, maybe from May or June to the end of August or September. So it was almost the whole summer. And they were hardworking women. They worked from early morning to, to late night, milking and making cheese and uh, butter and uh, also knitting a lot and uh, doing some spoons from woods and stuff. So they were working all day. Often there are these romantic pictures of of the women living there, standing and like resting to a wall and, and being very very fragile and stuff, but they were really hard-working women. <laughs> and they actually provided their whole farm with food for the winter. You know, all the cheese, all the butter, everything they made, they took from the, from the animals, they took back to the farm so they could live on it throughout the winter. Yeah, so these women were really independent and obviously essential. It's funny, I, I like have to make a case for the usefulness of women, but that's often what I wind up doing. Like, yeah, so they were important. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they were. They were so important. <laughs> but many people think that, that the women did nothing on the farms, but they, they did the, the hard bit, I should say. And especially the young unmarried women. When you were married and young, you stayed on the farm taking care of kids and taking care of stuff down there. But when you were unmarried, you could go up to to the cottages to take care of the animals. So the tradition really grew out of a relationship between domestic animals and humans in a really specific landscape, I understand. So what's the landscape that really shaped this tradition? Yeah, often, of course, it was different from, from place to place, but often it was up in the mountains, in the forest, or away from the farm a lot of the times. And using land that wasn't able to be to be used to produce food or stuff because it was too, too much of a hill, too much of a slope or something. So it was good for the, for the goats and sheep to go there and, and uh, have their lunch, but not for anyone to, to take into the winter. Okay, we've talked about the history of cloning in Sweden, and I want to move on to what you're doing, what you're teaching in your workshops. 
you teach kilning. Yeah, that's right. And I started last year for a year. I've been teaching kilning, and um, it basically started as a um, feminist statement that you know my voice can sound very loud. I can be heard. And and people, I'm not sure how it is in Canada, but in Sweden, and I'm sure it is in a lot of other countries, women are supposed to be quiet and they are supposed to not sing that loud. I was always, when I was small, told that I sang too loud. Like, be quiet, you can't sing. I'm <laughs> like, I'm singing. And then if you can produce that loud sound that can reach up to 10 kilometers, that's some, some great power in that. And I want to make people understand that they are able to stand their ground. They are able to be heard if they want to. And I've seen it as a pretty important work, actually, to teach people doing that. At every course I've had, people are coming up to me afterwards and saying, wow, I didn't know I could do this. Thank you. And they, they are proud because... They were also told when they were small that they shouldn't sound, they shouldn't make noises or, or scream or, or be heard. But now they, they can stand here and sing these tunes with this tremendously loud voice. That is great. And it's wonderful. <laughs> much easier to pick up the phone and call a friend <laughs> downtown than making a noise but still I think that I've, I've heard of a friend that was walking in the forest and then she she lost her friend and to make her come back or to make her hear what the first friend was she was using cooling because sometimes you are on places where you really can't use your mobile phone also I've heard a really remarkable story about a woman that was there was a man trying to rape her and she used cooling straight in his ear and he just ran away <laughs> that's amazing and I'm, I'm getting goosebumps while I'm talking about it because having that power you know even if it, if it wasn't cooling if it was screaming you know being able to make that sound so you can scare people off that is that it's very powerful for me but i should say that you know we have these workshops and every time we're standing in some kind of central park uh, in gothenburg but still a bit away from the crowd so people shouldn't be able to hear us that much and we're standing there having fun making kular together and there are always people coming up to us so angry 
that there are 10 women standing and singing loud. And it's not always, you know, that pretty. It's not always like, ha, da, da. Sometimes it's more like, Bruh. but you are, you are, you are allowed to make those noises anyway. But people are coming up to us and are so angry. And once even, I was in Stockholm having a workshop and there was a lady writing on Facebook afterwards, so angry and saying, what will the children think? Like, what? What are you talking about? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand you here. And I think that that's the big part, that it's so, it's still, even if we are in 2017, it's still a, such a big deal that 10 people are standing, 10 women are standing together and making loud noises where maybe one or two persons will hear. That it's not acceptable for us to actually use a voice to that extent that we may disturb somebody or something. So by making these workshops and making people use their voice to that extent, that's a big thing. And also taking ground. We are here. We will be heard because we are half of the population. So in some ways, it's more important to be heard in an urban environment, or at least it hasn't become any less important for women to be heard, basically. Yeah, I think that killing is a small part, you know, we need to do a lot more. But just by making this people trying to sound real strong, that is remarkable. I think it's, it's great. And people get so proud, you know, they get so proud of themselves that I could sound this loud. Wow. <laughs> because many people, the biggest problem I've got when I'm trying to teach people about cooling is that they're singing. They're using the very high-pitched tone. And that voice isn't reaching very far. It's a few, few meters maybe. But the thing is that you need to get over there and almost scream, but not scream. Something between screaming and singing, I think. Yeah, can you tell me about the technique? How do you make this sound? The larynx in your throat, when you're singing, you're trying to push it down to make the throat big. When you're, yeah, you know, oh, all those oh, voices. But when you are using kulning, you're pushing it up and making the sound very nasal. You can, you can feel it vibrating in your nose. And sometimes you can feel it vibrating in your teeth too, like. <laughs> but it's very. I, I'm having trouble speaking about this even in Swedish because it's, it's like, I can feel when I'm doing it or someone beside me doing it because this vibrations is really in the air. But then talking about technicality, about lifting the larynx up and, and stuff, it's pretty hard to describe how to do that. But that's basically how you do it. And it's very nasal. 
some I always start my lessons, you know, you're first warming up your voice and stuff, but then I start them by screaming, like make the ugliest noise you can. <laughs> I'm and then I'm doing it because nobody dares to do it. And I'm screaming very ugly. And then they can scream very ugly. And then I'm saying, well, then we can start to kubla. And it's a lot about finding where your easiest tone is. The first tone you make, where you feel the vibration around your nose and your, your teeth. If you find that very well, then you can start laborating with, with tunes and calls and stuff. But if you find the cooling tone, you found it, you got it. And everybody has this smile on their faces when, wow, was that it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was in my nose. I know. <laughs> it's in your nose. <laughs> that was my conversation with Siri Holm. She teaches kilning workshops in Sweden, in Stockholm. You can find her on SoundCloud and Spotify. She also plays folk music and writes her own songs. This is Siri Holm singing Kular. This is Jag Lalar Dig Stina. This is a call to Stina, which I asked her about. Stina is a common women's name in Sweden, but it can also be a name for a cow. So historically, it's hard to say who this song was intended to call in the first place. Siri Holm with Jag Lalar Dig Stina. Because Kulning and Färbod culture is becoming present again in the Swedish popular imagination somewhat, a woman named Ulrika Bodeen, a notable folk singer from Sweden, has come out with an entire album of songs from the Färbod. The song incorporates herding calls, but also modernizes it as a song form, as opposed to simply the call. Liole la lo la la lo la 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 le Oh what the kumani kumani do Oh what the kumani 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 do Kumahine ni do
Fair Folk is a radio show and podcast exploring folk culture and music from around the world. The show is hosted by Smithers Community Radio, CICK 93.9 FM, and you can find it at smithersradio.com and wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any feedback you'd like to give about the podcast, you can email me at fairfolkcast at gmail.com. I also have a page on Facebook. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>